WNYC Studios is brought to you by Zbiotics. Seize the day after a night of drinks with Zbiotics pre-alcohol probiotic drink. Zbiotics was invented by PhD scientists to break down the byproduct of alcohol, which is most responsible for making you feel crummy the next day. Drink Zbiotics before your first drink, drink responsibly, and you'll wake up refreshed and ready to take on the day. Try it for yourself at zbiotics.com/wnyc and get 15% off your first order when you use WNYC at checkout. That's zbiotics.com/wnyc and use the code WNYC at checkout for 15% off. Listener supported. WNYC Studios. This is All of It. I'm Tiffany Hansen, in for Allison Stewart. And this year is the 50th anniversary of the founding of ICP, the International Center of Photography. The organization has long been a cultural center of photography here in New York. And in honor of the anniversary, the ICP has opened an exhibition exploring the depth of their collection. ICP at 50 from the collection, 1845 to 2019, displays photographs that span three centuries featuring famous photographers like Gordon Parks, Robert Maplethorpe, Carrie Mae Weems. The show also traces the development of the camera from its invention to the present day. The exhibition is currently on view, open to the public at ICP through May 6th. With us now to talk about it is Elizabeth Sherman, ICP Senior Curator and Director of Exhibitions and Collections and ICP Executive Director David E. Little. David, Elizabeth, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Great to be here. David, let's start with you. All right. It's the 50th anniversary. So let's get a little bit of history about the organization. It was founded in 1974 by Cornell Kappa. Your website says, I'm quoting your website, Uh, he wa- It was founded to, quote, champion concerned photography. So first of all, tell us a little bit about him and what he meant by concerned photography. Sure, sure. Uh, well, Cornell Kappa, as was mentioned, was uh, the founder, and he was a member of a group of photographers, magnum photographers, who traveled the world and photographed. And he really founded the institution, which he called purposely a center, in order to, first of all, house uh, his brother's archive, Robert Kappa. And there were also uh, three other photojournalists who were really killed in uh, the duty as a photojournalist. And then he also... Killed during World War One, right? Yeah, yep. uh, actually... Um, there were different different circumstances. Oh, right. There was the Indochina War. Or Indochina. Something. I, I, so yeah, Kappa I remember was reading that. Yeah. was uh, uh, stepped on a landmine, and then the others were also uh, killed in in different ways. But in any case, um, he founded it uh, to house the archive, but more more importantly, too, to sort of exhibit photography of this sort. And by concerned photography, he really meant at that particular moment, photography that somehow educated about events that were happening throughout the world and uh, brought that to New York City. Now, of course, things have changed quite a bit since and that when moment. You, yeah, right. And that moment is 1974, right, exactly. when he founded that. And yeah. so what was happening at at that moment that really drove him, do you think? 
You know, it's interesting. Uh, at that particular time, there really wasn't a photo market. There were a few photo museums, photo institutions, but nothing, no photo uh, institution that was dedicated to photography. And he was really an evangelist and a promoter of photography. And I really think that that's what drove him. In addition to wanting to ensure that uh, the great photographs of Kappa and Shim Seymour were preserved and that uh, people would learn about photography and learn about particular events that they had covered during the war, for instance. Um, so there was also an homage to these uh, to these ph- photographers as well of as well as promoting photography. So would we be accurate if we said that his drive toward conservation and education was driven by his brother? In part, yeah. yeah. I think in part, but also part of a bigger spirit of um, photographers of that of that time and feeling that the image was really a way of communicating in a broad and democratic manner, um, you know, much like we see today. So uh, he saw this special quality of uh, the photographic image and sort of speaking in a different way to a broader international audience. Mm-hmm. And that's that's really the source, too, of this idea of the international center of photography um, and this uh, really almost utopian idea of photography and the impact that it can have on the way that people think Mm. and understand the world that they're experiencing. So his brother, Robert Kappa, died in 1954. Um, Elizabeth, I understand there's a photograph that Robert took that's on view in this show currently. So tell us a little bit about that photograph specifically and how you chose it to be part of this. Yep. The photograph we included in ICP at 50 is actually one of Robert Kappa's most iconic and well-known images. It's an image of U.S. troops landing um, in France on D-Day during World War II. Um, It's an image I think that many people will be familiar with, even if they've never heard of Robert Kappa before. And it really captures that feeling of being there in the moment. It's an incredibly blurry image. He's in the water. Um, You really have that feeling of understanding from a distance uh, some quality of what it must have been like to be a soldier um, arriving in Europe uh, during the middle of World War II. Um, So we decided to to include that image in the exhibition because it's one of the most iconic images in our collection by a photographer who's so central to our collection. But we also wanted to include in the exhibition um, unknown images by well-known photographers. Yeah, that I mean, that was going to be my follow-up question. You have 200,000-plus prints in your collection. Uh, that's a lot to sift through for this. So, <laughs> so what was the process? I have to be honest, the process was really intuitive. I think that we didn't want to try to say anything definitive because there is no definitive truth about the collection, about any one of these photographers, about any one story. So no theme. What we wanted to do was include as much as possible. So we wound up choosing about 170 photographs by 170 photographers. So we chose one image by every photographer that we included in the exhibition. And as you said in the title um, at the beginning, as much time as we could cover with the collection. So really um, from the earliest popularization of photography in the middle of the 19th century um, to works that we've collected just in the last couple of years. We wanted to give as much breadth to the depth of our collection as possible. Mm. So David, when we think about the depth of that collection, 
Talk to us about how the ICP now acquires photos and what we're, what, what are you looking for? Right, right. We're, lo- we're really looking for the next generation of photographers, and uh, we're also looking for photographers who are ad- addressing these ideas of concerned photography in a different manner. When we talk about CAPA and we talk about the uh, founding of ICP, concerned photography was attached to uh, typically war photography. But as we're finding today, um, photographers are very interested in change, social change, but uh, that social change might be in self-portraiture. Uh, for, for instance, um, portraying uh, a figure who normally would never be portrayed in the history of photography. And I understand that you're going to be uh, speaking to with Nona Fastine, and she is a perfect example of this. Also, Recreating histories that have been somehow lost and depicting figures in history would be something that we would be interested in. So, we're really looking at the future of photography in terms of ways that photographers are considering the relationship between photography, contemporary culture, but really there has to be almost a kind of a catalyst for a new idea. So, it's not a pure aesthetic. uh, So, you won't see a lot of uh, pure abstract photography in the in ICP's collection, you'll see more photography that is about social events. So just as point of curiosity, my own curiosity is, do you do you just, is, is a photographer someday going to get a call from David that says, <laughs> we like your thing, we want to put it in our in our collection. Is that how this works, basically? Well, I think you need to speak to Elizabeth about that, because that <laughs> you is call really... from Elizabeth and that, that says... That's her, and that is uh, part of what Elizabeth does and the curators, and maybe you can speak to that, Elizabeth. Yeah, and that also, to follow up, uh, because I know that you acquired, the, the center acquired its first video uh, back in 2017. So yeah, just talk a little bit more about the, that process of acquiring, and then also more specifically, why did you branch out into video and what does that mean? Um, So the process for acquiring work, we have a committee that supports acquisitions and our collection program in general. And with that committee, um, myself and the rest of the curatorial team will make recommendations of what we want to add to the collection. We bring those works to the committee. um, They vote Usually we've been in dialogue with the artists directly or their gallery should they have one beforehand. Um, It's not a surprise, you're a Nobel laureate kind of a call, Um, nor is it that prestigious, but but, um, we're very proud of it. Um, But, you know, I have to say with this immense collection that we do have right now, our focus really is on celebrating and attending to the collection that we do have rather than um, really growing it aggressively at this moment. The collection has not been on view in any regular way in the last 10 years. And so we really want to understand what we have. We have a very new team. I've only arrived within the last year. Um, And so understand what we already have, get it back on view, reacquaint our audiences with the collection before we are aggressively acquiring new works. Mm, And video. How are you thinking about video? So I wasn't at ICP when that video was added, but I will say for me, these boundaries are really porous, flexible, and, and in some cases, illogical. Um, the difference between a still digital image and a moving digital image, and in, in for that matter, the difference between a still analog film 
image and a uh, moving film image are really a kind of technological difference and not an apparatus difference. So if ICP is the home of photography, of images made by the camera, by light and time, moving image is just as much uh, a quality of light and time and the lens as still photography. Um, I think at this point, we wouldn't suddenly try to be a home of the history of film and video. So many other great institutions in New York do that really well. But many of the artists and photographers that we work with, that we celebrate, are working across these mediums. And so we would never say, you can't show this in our space. We won't right. study this. In fact, many of our students are working in these ways. Mm. David, um, the the collection also contains, I'm using air quotes, related material. Yeah. Um, what is related material? <laughs> well, you can you can see that in, in some of the shows that are on view, especially the, the David Seidner show, which is uh, alongside the ICP at 50 show. So in the case of the David Seidner show, you could see some of the magazines that he collected that uh, portrayed the photographs that mm-hmm. are also in the collection. In other cases, David uh, had this really wonderful list that Elizabeth and the team showed of the photographs that he had sold. And he'd have a little uh, a picture of the photograph and he'd identify where he had sold it to. So there, there's all this kinds of ephemera like right, yep. that, mm-hmm. which is really fun. In some cases, we have also, um, we have negatives. Uh, for some photographers uh, as well as part of the the gifts that we've received. But one thing I wanted to say, somewhat related to what uh, Elizabeth was was noting about uh, video, is just one of the great discoveries uh, for Elizabeth in looking through this collection, and I think for me, is just seeing the range of media. We talked about um, early on Kappa and the original photographers, they were, for the most part, photographing in black and white. Kappa did, Robert Kappa did do some color, but we have a whole range of technologies and techniques in photography in the collection. Uh, one of the things that we found looking back at our exhibition history is the third show was a hologram show, which just took us by surprise. And mm-hmm. there was also a, a show on that did include abstract, some abstract photography, which surprised us. So it's, it's interesting interesting to see how the institution is always, while concern is uh, critical to the content, the way that uh, artists develop that or deliver that content is very, very in many different media. So that's why, for instance, AI as a, a new form of media is something that uh, no doubt there'll be some sort of integration of that no doubt. in some form. Um, but what we'll always be interested in is a more critical perspective of thinking about uh, AI in particular and its relationship to history and truth and knowledge. Mm. So. Elizabeth, we have thrown the term iconic around a little bit. So um, I, I know that folks sort of have a sense of what they think of when they think of an iconic photograph. The first thing that popped into my mind was Dorothea Lange's photo of the Dust Bowl era migrant woman uh, in California. Uh, if, if I say that most people, that image pops into their mind. Uh, images from 9-11, for example. So what does iconic mean to you as a curator? I love that question because I 
I try to challenge this supposition as much as I can. I think for me as a curator, there is that popular conception of what is iconic. What will the general public recognize most immediately? And then there is what are the images, what are the works of art that have changed culture the most, that are um, emblematic of the maker, of the time, of the period, um, in a way that in themselves they can kind of uh, tell as many stories as possible. And I think those are the images. Sometimes the ones that are well-known are doing uh, those sort of more curatorial definitions of iconic. But I think the work we're also trying to do is to expand the images that are, are well-known for those other qualities that they might hold. We talked a little bit about black and white images, and I want to get to that, but we're going to take a quick break. We are talking with ICP senior curator Elizabeth Sherman and director of exhibitions and collections and ICP executive director David E. Little. We're talking about ICP at 50 here on All of It, and we'll have more coming up after the break. Welcome back to All of It. I'm Tiffany Hansen in for Allison Stewart, and we are talking about photographs. The International Center for Photography has its ICP at 50 from the collection exhibit happening now. We're talking with curator Elizabeth Sherman and executive director David E. Little. Elizabeth, before we took our little break, we were talking about black and white photos, and I mentioned Dorothea Lange's photo, which is in black and white. What is it about black and white photography that we have so many tools at our disposal right now, but what is it about black and white specifically that still captivates people? Well, I think that it's the way that images were circulated and disseminated for so much of their history. Color photography as a technology exists well before it's part of the popular imagination. It's harder to print, it's harder to circulate, it's harder to make, it's expensive. So we have seen history, we have seen art photography in black and white for the predominance of the medium's lifespan. And so that's how we have, I think, come to recognize and imagine these moments in history. And at the same time, there are so many important documents in color that I think deserve to be seen and be written into the so-called canon because they they exist and they are there from an earlier point. Um, such as? Such as uh, we have a work in the show by Jeanette Clute, who was a female technician working for Kodak in the 30s and the 40s, developing color photography, and on her own on the weekends was going outside and making um, gorgeous life um, wildlife pictures in the Finger Lakes region outside mm. of Rochester mm. in the 40s and 50s, a time in which we don't even think of color photography as existing. Mm. And I'm wondering specifically, you know, we're talking about sort of back in history here. Um, I'm wondering specifically about your oldest photograph that's in the exhibit. So tell us what that is. I know that there, the collection goes way back in the Wayback Machine. So, Yeah, so the earliest works in our collection are all examples of early popular photography. So not the very, very first examples of images being fixed on a plate or a sheet of paper, but the first uh, technologies that were accessible to everyday people, and those are daguerreotype, ambrotype, mm. and tintype. Those are all technologies that 
um, because of their relative ease of use. And let's remember, they were still incredibly difficult to use. They required preparing a um, plate or a glass surface with wet photochemical materials, taking incredibly long exposures, um, and then fixing them onto the surface, all happening in the portrait studio or out in the field where the images were being made. But these were easier and more financially accessible ways of making images. And so they're the first kinds of images that everyday people are making of themselves. And we really see a proliferation of portrait photography in the mid 19th Mm -hmm. century because of the accessibility of these images. So is the oldest in the show a portrait? Yes, it is. Yeah, and I, I, I'm I, not sure exactly, you know, a lot of these dates are really what we would call a circa date. They're right. estimations. Squishy. They're exactly. Squishy. Yeah. Uh, how How is the preservation more generally of those materials? Because I can imagine preservation of those old photographs is something to be considered. Is that, David, first to you, is that something that the center is directly involved in? Yes. So we have a a space out in Jersey City where we store the works. But even when you come to the exhibition, when you're up on the third floor, which is where the show begins, and those works are from the late 19th century, you'll notice that the light is very, very, uh, light levels are very, very low. So it's it's almost dark-like. And that's to protect these uh, images that are much more sensitive to light. Um, you know, photographs are fugitive. Um, they, they can disappear. So our job is really to ensure that they're not only shown to the public in our exhibitions, but that they're preserved for a long period of time. And so when those sh- works aren't uh, on view, they're in um, acid-free boxes. They're in uh, a space that has a certain temperature levels, all of which to ensure their preservation. Elizabeth, um, what's the most recent photograph in the collection that's being exhibited right now? I believe the most recent work in the collection is a work by Nona Faustine, who uh, David mentioned we think will be on this program in a couple of days. It's an example from her White Shoe series, and it's our most recent acquisition uh, to the collection. And the wonderful thing about this work is that um, Faustine, who's working today making work about the unseen histories um, of the role of slavery in the economy of New York City, um, and really trying to you know tell stories that we often oh, we very proactively overlook um, it calls back to one of the earliest works in our show. So she's the, in each of the works in these series, she's um, stopping at a specific address in New York and looking at the history of that place. And in the work that we acquired, she's uh, thinking about Sojourner Truth. Mm-hmm. And one of the earliest works we have in the sh- show is called a carte de visite. Um, it's almost like a calling card, a, a business card with a picture on it. And Sojourner Truth would make these and sell them. And there is actually an inscription on the bottom that says, I, I sell, I sell the, I'm going to, I sell the shadow to support the substance. So she would sell her image mm. to raise money for her own work in abolition. Um, and so it's really incredible. I think there are very few institutions like ICP that can have that original Sojourner Truth carte de visite on view, as well as the contemporary artist who's calling back to mm. that early history. Mm-hmm. We talked, uh, David, about the process in creating these early photographs. I'm curious how you think about the invention of the camera even and how it affected how we think about ourselves. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think um, 
And it goes through uh, many, many different stages, but I think really uh, what we're experiencing now is is so different than in any other period, at least since the invention of the iPhone, because right now pretty much everyone or a large percentage of the populace has a phone or a camera in their pocket. So that technology uh, specifically affected things. And I, it's not just the technology of having a mobile phone. I think the main thing is this idea of being able to then take an image and then share it instantaneously. Um, the carte de visite that we were talking about earlier was one of the first forms where figures became popular nationwide. Someone like uh, one of the most popular carte de visites was of Abraham Lincoln, and Lincoln's image became you know well known. But if you think about images now, because of technology, someone could become well-known within a year or a very short period of time, and they, they have no fame at the, at the level or substantive fame like someone like, like Lincoln. So technology plays a, a absolutely critical role uh, now. And we don't know what uh, the fun thing about photography is, and Elizabeth always kids me because I say this often, is like every time you try to define photography, it will elude you. And uh, a lot of times technology is seen as something negative in relationship to photography, but I really see it as, as really sort of the, a, a great source of creativity. Every time there's a new technology, we see incredible uh, new ideas come out of photographers. But the, the real, the iPhone is the, is the way that, um, or I shouldn't say the iPhone, but I think the mobile, mobile devices really have transformed the technology of image uh, making and image production. As we think about that evolution from the daguerreotype to the iPhone, um, Elizabeth, how has, if we're kind of looking at photography through the, that's a very long span of time, I realize, but it has to have had an effect on how we view our world. How do we see that, that change in photographs? It is. I mean, it's everything. It's everywhere. Um, I think that, you know, it's interesting. We're so inside of photo history that sometimes we don't step outside and think what has photography um, done in general. Um, but I think it's really altered what, you know, thinking about David talking about AI, and I think a lot of the questions around this new technology are about truth. And I think... One of the funny relationships between photography from the very beginning is to the relationship of truth. There's this um, sub, this innate feeling that ph photography tells the truth, and yet it never has from the very beginning of the technology. And I actually think that kind of wrestling between this sense that it is a tool for documentation and telling of truth, and yet it's very... Um, innate manipulatability that it that it's always being altered. It's always leaving things out. It's always a lens and not the the full reality um, is something that's there again right from the very beginning, but that is uh, really present and urgent today. One of the things I was to add to what Elizabeth is saying, I and mean, I think one of the a great example would be the D the D Day photographs that we mm. started with mm. with Kappa. So when Kappa takes the D-Day photographs, he is, you know, brought by the military. Uh, he's he's part of the first wave going onto the beach. He's got his camera, and he's taking his photographs. He's embedded. But if we think about the historic photographs that have happened in the last 
you know, five years. In many cases, someone is at the event. It's not a photojournalist. It's not someone with a camera. It's someone who is experiencing some sort of, either they're experiencing trauma or they're witnessing it or they're witnessing an event and they photograph. So it's really, um, there's a new accessibility uh, to, uh, I think, with the technological change to, in addition to, uh, I think, all the valid points that Elizabeth's making about the truthfulness about those images. So we haven't lost that ability to think of photography as a way to document the truth, just because it's in our pocket. No, no. What is it, Elizabeth, about our fair city that uh, makes it so photographable? I mean, I'm thinking of, um, you know, we... we on our air, we say during Manhattan Hinge, for example, if you're going to go out and take a picture, please don't get hit by a cab. <laughs> uh, you know, because so many people are out trying to capture Manhattan Hinges, of course, when the sun comes mm -hmm. between the buildings in just the right way. And everybody loves to get that great picture. Uh, one example. Right. But there but there are a million examples across this city. I just saw three kids today. Uh, with cameras, actual cameras, not iPhones, so they must have been part of some class out here taking pictures of, you know, the the phone box. The so, what is it? Well, as as someone who has grown up in and around this area my whole life, I have to say, well, because New York is so compelling and magical and beautiful, of <laughs> right, course. Right. I think the more thoughtful, less New York centric answer would be that these images are self perpetuating. So. When we have been uh, the the seat of a lot of culture and journalism for the history of photography, we're going to see images coming out of New York, and then people are going to learn that that's how images are made. And so when they come here, they're going to want to make those kinds of images themselves. So, for example, in the fall, we're going to have an exhibition of contemporary international street photography that's really an attempt to say we associate the genre of street photography with New York, but that's because those are the people we've seen. Those are the people that have been exhibited and circulated. And actually, this is a mode of image making that's happening all over the world all of the time uh, with access to cameras. So I think it is both truthful that New York is um, desired by the lens and also a kind of self-fulfilling prophecy. Want me to tell you what I think? Yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's the proximity of beauty and the grit of this city in such tight, tight, tight proximity that makes it so compelling to photograph, you know, the, 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 the flower growing between the crack and the sidewalk type thing. Absolutely. Anyway, yeah. I mean, I agree with Take that. Take that for what it is. <laughs> so, all right. So, David, before we let you go, let's talk about this exhibit, some of the events that are – what's kicking off? What's kicking things off here for this 50th anniversary? Well, um, one of the things that we have uh, coming up is just a whole series of, of really great talks that are happening uh, in connection with the, the show. Uh, we have Peter Souza, who's going to be uh, speaking, for instance. And then I'm going to actually turn it over yeah. to Elizabeth for some of those other events. But I do want to mention this really quickly. Those uh, students who had cameras were hoping that they were at ICP because we offer classes there. But I do want to mention also very quickly that in terms of the camera technology that we've discussed is that why we were talked a lot about the iPhone, analog photography is as popular as ever. And students- Warms my heart. Love to make 
pictures. They mm-hmm. love that magic of being in the darkroom. So I just want to say that before I turn it over to Elizabeth to talk a little bit about the programs that are kicking this off. Yeah, as we do for every season, we have an incredibly robust series of public programs, of talks. Mm. In fact, this Thursday, we're talking so much about AI, despite our interest in analog photography. This Thursday, we'll be having a panel conversation on AI as part of our series of programs uh, celebrating the 50th. So everyone can visit our website under the events page. I was just going to say, yeah. We have one to two talks a week, um, and we would love to see Lots and lots of information, and it's at icp.org. If That's I'm correct. not mistaken. All right. So it's the International Center for, Ta- for Photography is what we've been talking about. ICP at 50 from the collection 1845 to 2019 is the exhibit currently ongoing. Correct. All of the info at ICP.org. We've been talking with Elizabeth Sherman, ICP Senior Curator and Executive Director David E. Little. Thank you to you both. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. On Notes from America, we have conversations with people across the country about how we can truly become the nation that we claim to be. Each week, we talk about race, our politics, education, relationships, usually all of them, because everything's connected. And you, our listeners, are at the center of those conversations. I'm Kai Wright. Join me on Notes from America, wherever you get your podcasts.